Okay, so this is episode three of Inner Surveillance. Yes. We're going to be discussing our personal relationship with money and how we view long-term wealth. I'm very excited for this episode. <laughs> this is kind of like the first one that I ever wanted to talk about, but yes. I also really like talking about personal finances, so... I was talking to my mom about it. I was like, this is like a Denisa topic. I was like, I need to actually take notes on this one. So that way I can sound somewhat of like, like knowledgeable. Stop it. Stop. Let's, let's get into that because I wasn't always like this. Um, Did not. Anyways. So I want to get into the different personalities that I guess, entail when we talk about money. So I was doing a little bit of background research and apparently there's money personalities and you can take like online quizzes to find out which one you are. But essentially there are four main ones that I wanted to go over. Money worship, money avoidance, money vigilance, and money status. Okay, so we're gonna go into all four of those, talk a little bit about what they mean, and kind of dive into where we fall <laughs> into those four categories, because I feel like that's going to provide a lot of value in terms of our upbringing, because there are some similarities and differences, um, but also kind of give people some insight into why they behave a certain way or feel a certain way when the topic of money comes up. Yes. So I'm going to dive right into it. Money worship is essentially people that think more money is going to solve their problems. I think that, you know, throughout mainstream media, this, we've all seen this at one point or another, where we know that these types of people can never have enough of it. So they overspend or, you know, they carry their credit cards um, and they go into debt or some other like I guess common actions are you can take control of your spending by creating a budget, but these people just have no sense of, I guess, discipline in a way. The second type is money avoidance. So I know I personally have a couple of family members that fall (laughs) under this category due to the immigrant mentality. So if you grew up in a similar situation, then I feel like this will resonate with you. But money avoidance are just people that believe money is bad and that they don't deserve it, which I thought was really interesting. Um, So they avoid thinking about money, therefore avoid kind of automating their finances, you know, not setting up things like retirement accounts, Um, so I feel like we all have at least one or more people in our inner circle that falls into this category. The third type is money vigilance. So people who are vigilant believe that being frugal and saving is very important. With that being said, they might (laughs) also be secretive with their finances and uncomfortable discussing money with others. Uh, I also thought this one was interesting. So moving on to money status is people that see money as a means to achieving a higher status. This one's pretty self-explanatory, but essentially what happens is they believe that their self-worth is actually equal to their net worth, which may be 
driven to earn more money in comparison to their peers or coworkers because they have that self-attachment to the status part of money. So given those four categories, money, I'm gonna pass it on to you. <laughs> and I don't know, talk to me, tell me which one resonates with you the most in terms of the personality and where do you think it comes from? Goodness gracious. Um, I, for some reason, I immediately connected to money vigilance. Um, but I'm not secretive with my money. I'm definitely, if you ask, I'm most likely willing to tell. Um, Interesting. And then I, I'm also a little bit, I know in my younger days, I was probably more money avoidant where I didn't really because nobody in my family talked about money. Like I would ask my mom kind of how much money she made. She's not going to tell me. Like, right. She never told me. I really, I really wasn't sure like if we were middle-class, lower, like I, I had no idea sort of where we were in the class system um, because most people in my family were like money avoidant. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think I more identify with money vigilance on a on the verge of money like status i i definitely think that i do have a tendency to compare myself to others monetarily um mm -hmm. i don't want to say in a destructive way um i think for the most part it's been a no for the most part it's been in a in a, in a constructive way with my relationship yeah. towards money um status where I'm more like, oh, I see my peers who are making this much. I know that I can also be making that much. So I, of course, ask my peers, how did you right. do this? I'm asking for tips, advice, so forth and so on. So that way I can get in their position. Like, obviously, if I see somebody who's managing money smarter than me, I'm going to ask them how, how you did that. Exactly. I, I kind of resonate with vigilance and status too. And I feel like we have similar upbringing. So that's maybe why that situation just like fruition into the way it did because my parents also handled um, finances in a similar way. We didn't really grow up talking about money. Never. Um, like it was almost kind of like a taboo subject. And I never really felt inclined to ask about money growing up either because it was never really like a topic of discussion. Like I knew my parents would speak about their finances amongst themselves, but it was never something that I felt like I needed to contribute to the conversation, you know, or like be just generally aware about growing up. So definitely resonate with the vigilance, um, being frugal and saving. I don't think that comes from a place of growing up with scarcity. Uh, we definitely didn't grow up in a mansion, but I was never, you know, like deprived of basic needs or survival. However, my parents did at one point growing up. So they, I feel like they instilled certain principles in us as the children to not be, not fall into that hyper consumerism trap, be excessive with things. So still keeping in mind, like, hey, we can buy all this soap, but you don't have to use it in a week. Mm. You know what I mean? And then with the money status situation, I'm kind of going back and forth between the two as I've graduated and, you know, have my own 
income and I've become completely independent um, from my family members. I'm not gonna lie, I'm kind of struggling with this one because in a way it's really easy to fall into the trap of, as you mentioned, tying your self-worth to your net worth. And I find this difficult because I see younger people than me doing better. So then I automatically think, okay, I'm not moving quickly enough. I'm not doing this fast enough. I'm not doing this as productive, um, you know, in comparison to other people. So there must be, I must take accountability for this. Therefore, my net worth is equal to X, Y, and Z. Mm. So it's, it's interesting because sometimes negatively visualizing the situation helps me become motivated and keeps me accountable. Okay. I'm, I take accountability for everything in my life. So I'm, I'm generally typically very hard on myself to begin with. However, I do see the negative aspect of it, of it being more of a toxic relationship with money because it's not necessarily one plus one equals two, right? They're not 100% of the time independently correlated to one another. Mm. So I don't know. How do you feel about um, the personality type? Do you think there's more? I definitely think there is more. When you read them off, I was like, I don't know. That kind of feels very limiting. Mm. Um, I felt like that was very limiting. And also I felt like they skewed a little bit more negatively. Um, they didn't really talk about some of the uh, positive mindsets that people have or personality traits that people have towards money. Um, Good point. There's pros and cons to all of them. I do agree with that. Exactly. Um, but I wanted to touch back on what you were mentioning about money vigilance and how it's not really tied to not having any money. That's how I feel as well. My money vigilance isn't tied to not having any money. I think it's tied to knowing people in my family who were, what was the, the first personality trait, which was? Money avoidance. Money avoidance. Yeah, they believe that money is bad and they do not deserve it. I had, I have like people in my family who are more money avoidant and have like periods where they'll just misuse their money, um, kind mm. of treat it as if, you know, I guess a means of currency, which it is, but it could also be a means of gaining wealth, gaining experiences, gaining different things. Correct. Um, so I feel like my money vigilance comes from knowing money avoidant people in my family. It doesn't come from them from a place of lack. Me too. I definitely agree with that as well. It was almost like, and I think in a way we were blessed to be in that situation, right? Because you never want a child to grow up deprived of basic human needs, um, you know, food, water, shelter. But also, what do you think transpired for us to have, again, that self-awareness to say, hey, these people in my life struggle doing X, Y, and Z. Let me not do the same thing. Because not everybody has that awakening or enlightening moment. I think specifically in my situation, because it was such a present problem with people in my family misusing money, it was 
something that was constantly talked about. So it wasn't like a, a secret. Mm. So okay. that's the only time we would talk about money is when somebody's not spending money wisely. Literally the only time we would talk about money. <laughs> so it was only negative. Okay. Yes. So you think that prompted you? So do you think you acted on those comments in fear, which is why you're money vigilant? In other words, yes. which is why you're frugal and saving is important to you? Definitely acted in fear of being that way. So like now I'm like extremely, I don't want to say I'm scared, but I'm hesitant to, to use my credit card. I'm hesitant to do these different things um, because I don't want to get myself in a situation where I'm just uh, overwhelmed by debt. That's so interesting. You bring up debt because I feel like our relationship with debt is different too. Yes. <laughs> I, as soon as I found out that you could leverage debt, it was game over for me. It, and, and, and not to the point where I recently, you know, just gotten a plethora of credit cards under my name personally, but it's not like I'm maxing out credit cards. Absolutely not. It's I'm fascinated with the strategy behind leveraging debt and using it, you know, to get like cash back percentage. It, it's free money. And so I feel like once I understood that concept, I, I get why others are hesitant to use it. But like we said before, that your relationship with money stems from fear. Yes. And I'm definitely extremely scared of debt. Like it was, it was kind of like, I don't want to say forced upon me. It was just what I grew up with. You don't want to be in debt. Like throughout college, the my whole thought process was I can't get in any debt. Even now where like out of college, I'm still extremely hesitant to go into debt, even though I'm the perfect candidate to go into debt, because right now I don't have any debt. So if I wanted to start a business and get a business loan, it'll be perfect. Like mm -hmm. I could do that. I have the opportunity to, to, to do that, but I'm extremely hesitant and scared to accrue debt. And even though like I know what's all a part of the process and the, well, not the process, it's a part of the game that we're playing as a society where, you know, yeah. you need the, the credit score and so forth and so on. But it's still a little bit, because I didn't get a credit card until I got out of college. So, because <laughs> I was just so scared. That's so interesting to me. So why did we have similar upbringings? We have similar money personalities, but our risk tolerance is still really different. Yes, my risk tolerance is low. <laughs> yeah, I don't, Okay. That's so interesting to me. I'm trying to figure out, like, and as even, we're speaking. And I tried to, not try to, I read um, Ramit Sethi's book. Um, what is it called? Uh, it's right over here. I, I would grab it, but I'm not going to grab it. Um, but it's a money book. It's kind of like the basics to making money. And I read the book and I was like, okay, this is a perfect guide for me to kind of start um, utilizing uh, debt and using it to my benefit. Um, but I'm ex still extreme. I'm still hesitant to, to do so. I'm probably more likely to, to invest in index funds than I am get another credit card. <laughs> That's so interesting to me. I, 
I don't want to say I'm the opposite, but yeah, my relationship to debt is very different from yours. I think, I think it's because I did everything by the book up until college. And now I'm at the point where I've graduated and I'm like, okay, I'm not necessarily, I don't want to say as happy as I thought I would be after graduating college, but this huge, like emotion was not invoked out of my body as soon as I got my full-time offer and I started making what my engineering salary is at the moment and I don't know why I thought there would be like this huge manifesto <laughs> like this huge light bulb moment but I feel like throughout those events as well as the concurring events that my family took that were by the book because we are all immigrants and this is what we were taught to do and you know, work hard, play hard. I I still don't feel like that reaped me the benefits that I thought it would in a sense. And I don't want to say, I'm very hesitant to say that because I don't want to come off as ungrateful because that's that's not what it is. But I guess my my mentality was that it was going to exponentially change my life when in, in reality it's not because that that's not how the economy works. <laughs> it's not how capitalism works. Um, so looking up different strategies to build wealth for me is almost like a hobby at this point. Mm. And I'm very fascinated with that process and leveraging debt is just one of them. And that's kind of how I view it. It's just a strategy versus, oh, this has to be the pinnacle of my life. And this is going to be my downfall. It's you know, there's definitely a lot of research that goes into it, especially if you weren't taught, which 99% of us were not, because that's not, not. <laughs> that's not what the public education system does. No. So in terms of generational wealth, because I know we've had a, a couple conversations about this, what is your current take on that, knowing your own personal relationship with money how do you think you're going to be maneuvering through that or what's some advice you could give to others that might be in a similar um mental state as you um so I feel like creating generational wealth is extremely important especially in like the people of color communities everybody who's a person of color should be pursuing generational wealth in my opinion um because everybody, yeah, everybody, everybody. Should, everybody should be, that's pursuing, you too. <laughs> yeah. Everybody should be pursuing generational wealth, like no excuses. Like, so, um, I guess my strategies toward creating generational wealth is just being entrepreneurial. That's the only way I know of, or I can think, well, being entrepreneurial and of course, investing in, in index funds and stocks and so forth and so on. Um, you're just trying to create more ways to create passive income and to create um, uh, compound interests. Yes. To, to, to accrue more interest on the money that you make. So yeah. those are my ways that I'm attempting to create generational wealth for the future. Cause as I, we had a conversation previously and I was like, I want my grandchildren to be on the space to Mars. Like I want to have enough money and I want to build up enough generational wealth that when we start to leave this earth, because it's, it's terrible, my grandchildren will be on the spaceship to Mars. <laughs> 
I hope everybody heard that. Money's, <laughs> money's goal is to have generational wealth for the sole purpose to have her children get to Mars. Escape. All right. Because all the other rich people are going to escape and my grandchildren are going to be right there with them. If I'm still alive at that time, I'm going to stay on earth. You know, I've been there, done that. I'm going to just stay here. They can go up to Mars. <laughs> That's a good segue though. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that because as I mentioned earlier, um, I feel like I've done everything by the book at this point, along with both of my parents. We all immigrated here at the same time, by the way, early 2000s. And again, I'm not saying that we are in any way, shape or form in a bad financial situation. However, I do think that if we had taken more risks or if we were less risk averse, we could have potentially, um, you know, made bigger gains, bigger, yeah. you know, high risk, high return. Like it, it sounds cliche, but it is true. Mm -hmm. And once I internalized what that meant, um, given that I have the stability of being of my parents back at home, I just feel like this is my time, I need to take advantage of this opportunity to take as many risks as possible. I don't have any dependents. Um, I don't have a partner that I need to take into consideration at this point in time. Um, everyone's healthy back at home. So I really have no excuse. And I think that's probably why we're both so drawn to entrepreneurship in general, because we've always needed like some type of creative outlet in a sense. Um, and we're trying to figure out how to do that on a daily basis. It's definitely been an interesting journey, but in terms of building long generational wealth, the education aspect intrigues me, I, I guess, just because I'm a nerd. I, <laughs> any information um, that I absorb regarding how to build generational wealth is fascinating to me, specifically the strategies involved with, you know, leveraging certain aspects that most people don't think about. Um, one other aspect uh, that you mentioned was investing. So I started investing, I think early, like freshman year of college, not really knowing what I was doing. Uh, started a Robinhood account, kind of just looking at trends in the market and things like that. I'm not a day trader by any shape, <laughs> by any shape or form. Um, I do love Bitcoin. I do love cryptocurrency. I'm fascinated with NFTs and I'm, I'm hoping to make more content around finance in general. I'm not an expert by any way, shape or form. I'm just, that's just what I enjoy. And I, I just want to talk about it and, and share it with the world and hope, hoping that it'll bring value to some other first gen college immigrant that did everything by the book. So yeah, that's kind of where my mentality is at. Yes, I think I actually haven't started investing yet. That's oh, no. um, once I reach my my um, my savings goals. That's when I start. That's when I'm going to start to do it. Um, I'm just. You know what's crazy? No. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I I don't believe in saving. You don't. I do not. I'm starting not to believe in it either. <laughs> Like, let, let me break it down. I'm not to believe in it either. 
let me I'm like all down. the interest that I'm missing out because I'm putting it in the savings account. Yeah, no, I'm on the same level. I'm like, I need to just put, I think I need to put all of it into, you know, the a prob- a preferably like, cause I'm risk avoidant, preferably an index fund. <laughs> we can talk about that offline, but I, <laughs> I personally do not believe in savings. I keep a very small amount of my finances in my checking account directly, just in case anything happens right so essentially you want you want to have some type of emergency fund or some type of liquidated cash um, that you can access very quickly in case something happens right with that being said you don't need anything after that emergency saving fund in my opinion in that same checking account because if you guys haven't been paying attention to the interest rates that have skyrocketed over this pandemic um, due to a plethora of different variables, it's in, inflation is increasingly becoming a problem um, that gives me anxiety like a lot more frequently than I would like to admit. So I definitely have started investing um, automatic payments you get paid, it goes out, you don't see it, you don't think about it, it compounds interest, as you mentioned, over time. So we can talk about specific strategies, maybe in a different episode. But yeah, I feel like you're more active with your money than I am. Does that that mean? Active? Um, I'm, I'm of the, like I said, because I'm, I'm uh, risk averse, I Mm -hmm. prefer to um leave it alone (laughs) so I'm not I'm not investing it and then like oh pulling it out and putting it into other investing I don't know if you do that but I'm I'm not of the type to do that I I'm of the the just keep it there and leave it there and pretend it doesn't exist yeah I mean I definitely have accounts where I just like I said, set up automatic payments, it hits the investment account and it just sits there. Like I, I don't check it on a daily basis, but I do have, for example, my cryptocurrency that I check on a daily basis, just because that market it's so is volatile. so, it's so yeah. volatile. If anyone here um, is involved with crypto, then you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm looking into potentially trading crypto, but I currently don't have the bandwidth in my personal and professional <laughs> life to start looking into how to do that strategically without losing money because you can lose a lot of it. So my current investment strategy is buy low, sell high, just like everybody else, but I'm mainly holding long-term Yeah, for the exact reasons that I just stated. And typically, like I said, I started investing in Robinhood as soon as freshman year of college. I put a couple, like 20 bucks in there, here and there, and it compounded to over 400 by the time I hit senior year. And that, that was me not trading, not doing anything, just mm-hmm. holding in. I believe I had like three or four stocks in there at the same time um, in different industries. Like I know Tesla and Apple, I was holding for a very long time. Um, I can't remember the others because it's it's been a minute since I closed my Robinhood account, but yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, I did want to pivot and speak a little bit more about the mindsets 
uh, around money. Um, because I feel like, you know, keywords like manifestation and abundance and all of these other things get thrown around a lot. And it's like, you can just manifest everything. I have a contradictory opinion about manifestation, specifically when it comes to money. Let's talk about it. I I agree. I feel like, yeah, let's talk about it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, manifesting money didn't work for me. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about what you did to manifest money because I feel like that's an umbrella term for everything now. Right, exactly. It's just an umbrella term. So people like call manifestation, of course, um, visualizing what it would be like to have all this money and trying to align, like tell the universe so that way it like attracts and so forth and so on. I'm like, like, I'm, I'm in, like, I'm okay with the spiritual stuff, but manifestation just has not worked for me. What worked okay. for me personally was believing that there is an abundance of money. That works for me. Manifestation, I can't. Abundance, yes. Interesting. That is a very interesting point because I feel like a lot of people that have that money avoidance personality tend to have a scarcity mindset. Right. That's why they ignore their finances and avoid thinking about money because they either grew up in such conditions or environments where it was, you know, almost uninhabitable or they've always lacked. Therefore, money seems like this taboo thing once it does come into their life. And that's why they feel like they don't deserve it. Uh So, yeah, I don't know. I have a, I have a mixed feeling with manifestation. So I've talked about this, not on the podcast, but negative visualization is what tends to work for me. What that means is essentially thinking about the worst case scenario versus positively thinking about a situation (laughs) right positively thinking about the situation for me made me not want to act on it because I had already strategized the entire situation in my mind and I had already visualized it therefore I never took action on it personally negative visualization has helped me because it does one of two things. One, it lights a fire underneath my butt because I can't imagine this situation not happening to me. And number two, it also mentally, emotionally prepares me for the worst case scenario in case that situation doesn't come to fruition the way that I thought it did. So I'm a firm believer in negative visualization. It has worked wonders for me. Um, If you tend to be a little bit more on the pessimistic side, I would encourage normal manifestation because you almost need that encouragement to pull yourself together. Whereas for me, I tend to have a little bit more anxiety, if you will, or I tend to have more of an optimistic mindset where I don't really care if a situation, you know, happens or not the way that I want it to, but it not occurring at all is the worst case scenario for me. So yeah, I don't know if that made sense. I hope I explained that correctly. It makes sense to me. I think you explained it quite well. (laughs) Thank you. But for me, um, abundance when it comes to money 
really, really works. Believing in abundance, believing that money is everywhere. There's always money to be made because it's it's true. Mm. There, there literally is always money to be made. There's always right. a way to find money. The key is trying to make money in a sustainable long-term way. But okay. short-term making money, I feel like it's it's not difficult to do. Will you sacrifice some morals? Maybe possibly, but <laughs> if you need the money, like money, there's always money to be made, always money to be made. That's a good mindset to have because essentially what you're doing is you're saying there's constantly opportunities for me. Always. Therefore, let me take advantage of this opportunity because it's going to bring in more abundance versus people that have more of a scarcity mindset think there are no opportunities to begin with or that it's so intangible, it's not for them. Therefore, they don't deserve it. So I feel like, yeah, that's a good way to approach it. I feel like that's good advice for those that may be in the same situation. Yes, definitely something that I constantly think about. Um, especially when I, sometimes I feel buyer's guilt, especially when buying, mm. buying things that I just buying things, I feel buyer's guilt. Um, but believing that, um, an abundance and that I, there, I can make the money back really helps me overcome that. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Do you think that there are certain personalities that may have more unhealthy financial habits compared to others. And how are there, are there any strategies to mitigate some of those? Strategies to mitigate. Yeah. So for example, you just stated buyer's guilt. How do you overcome that? I overcome, I overcome buyer's guilt by abundance, believing that I can make more money. Um, and for the most part, it's always true. I mean, yeah, it's always true. Mm-hmm. Um, how would I overcome scarcity mindset? Um, how would I overcome the mindset of scarcity? I don't, I really, I really don't know. <laughs> and that's okay. I think, I think I'm just so deep and my, like, just I'm really well rooted in my belief that opportunities are always around me that it's really difficult for me to envision an oppor- uh, a time and a place where I just believe that there won't be anything that's the answer that's the solution it's a mindset shift yeah you have to switch your mindset especially if you have a scar a scarcity one um because it honestly trickles down into other aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. In my personal opinion, I feel like um, money in general is very much demonized by people with specific money personalities, like we talked about earlier. And I, I view it as a very simple concept. <laughs> it's a transactional piece of paper or a coin. And the way that we give it value is honestly a little bit subjective right because we as humans give it its monetary value but yeah our relationship with money I think trickles down into other areas of life which either 
helps you or further diminishes returns. For example, if you have that scarcity mindset, you might be going through different areas where you feel like you don't deserve things, right? Relationships, people's times, um, being able to accept other forms of love, just et cetera, the list goes on and on. And I do feel like that mindset shift is the pinnacle to maybe the root cause of why we view money the way that we do. So it's actually, it's kind of like killing two birds with one stone, essentially, because you're asking yourself how you view wealth. Your relationship with money is related to past experiences and how you view wealth could be potentially to future experiences. So it's almost like killing two birds with one stone and doing the introspection on both sides because you have to ask yourself where these behaviors stem from. Do you think that the things people spend money on are based on their personalities? If that makes their sense. money personalities or yes. their money personalities. It could be. It definitely could be. So for example, some of my family members that have the money avoidance personalities feel guilty about spending on more lavish things or more quality things despite having the finances to do so simply because they grew up in a scarce environment as a child, therefore causing them to purchase the bare minimum things that will get them whatever they need, whether it's a pair of shoes that's faux leather versus real leather, et cetera. Um, whereas people, let's say with the money status personality actually view luxury items, right? As a form of self-worth, therefore justifying these higher ticketed items as equating it to success essentially when it, they're just monetary things. So I do think that they're somewhat correlated. What do you prefer to spend your money on? Like, do you have things that you avoid spending money on? Are you just, or things that you prefer to spend money on? Yeah, I do. Over the years, it's changed a lot. Um, as you know, I used to spend all of my money on basketball sneakers because <laughs> that's just what I enjoyed at the time. And I didn't have any grown up responsibilities, but yeah, ever since I graduated, I've kind of transitioned more to quality over quantity. So I'm more willing to spend money on things again in the long term. I've really like doubled down on this whole long term thing in every area of my life, uh, including investments. And I don't know, I just feel like that's what brings me comfort. I would much rather spend a ton of money on things that are going to serve me long-term in comparison to short-term satisfaction. There are some things that I feel guilty spending money on, such as eating out all the time when I know that I can cook my own food, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't necessarily feel guilty when I know things are of quality and that they will hold up. I think another reason is because I really value my time. 
I, I don't know what's happened in the last six to eight months ever since like I've been transitioning out of school, but I refuse to spend my time on anything that doesn't serve me. So shopping is definitely one of them in a sense, because if I have to keep continuously buying the same thing over and over and over again, that's 20 extra minutes on the website that I need, I didn't need to do when I could have just bought a higher quality blouse the first time. You know what I mean? So I think it's a combination of time and money for me at this point. Yeah, I was watching this video by this YouTuber, Nate O'Brien, and he was like kind of giving his money tip. I love him. He's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) But one of his money tips um, was to uh, give yourself an actual salary. So say that you're worth $15 per hour. So now that you know that you're worth $15 an hour, now you know okay, um, if I take the bus, it takes an hour versus taking exactly stuff like that. Like for me, I, um, I really value or prefer to spend money on trips, experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I'm like, okay, of course, because plane tickets, you cost the money. So I'm like, this plane ticket was 300 something dollars. That means I'm spending, how much money out of my hourly wage is it worth it because once you once you actually I feel like uh give it time then it starts to mean more if that makes sense then you start to realize I just wasted hours of my life like I went like I went to Chipotle today I don't know how much it costs but probably like around 10 to 15 dollars if you work 10 dollars an hour you just you just wasted one hour of work eating chipotle exactly Exactly. (laughs) and my teenage brother i feel like had a realization this past summer when he got his first job at a food like in the food industry at a restaurant and finally started to have a different appreciation towards how much work time life time is worth you can never get that back and that's what i'm saying you can always get your money back money it comes around goes around but time for me in this day and age is something that I refuse to waste. And yes. if I have to spend more money up front, I will personally internally feel better. One other example is housekeeping. Something that I'm looking into because not because I'm lazy. Um, <laughs> absolutely not. I'm actually like borderline OCD. It's not that I don't know how to clean by any means. It's just those it takes me a good five, five to six hours, like every weekend to clean my entire apartment since I live by myself. And I do a deep clean every week. That's just what makes me feel good. And then I started compounding that per month. Ridiculous. A lot of- I would much rather, right, pay someone because imagine what you can do during those six hours every single week for your business right? For your passions, for your hobbies, whether it's just spending time with family, I feel like that's valuable time that you can never get back. And so it's interesting, like you mentioned, once you start putting the time variable into the equation, then you get a qualitative value back and you can actually calculate how much these things are going to be worth. So if that's what you need to do to, you know, put your pride aside or finally pull the trigger, by all means, I would highly encourage that. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just 
us where time means a lot to us because of like you know anxiety I feel like a lot of people with anxiety have a lot of uh just feelings and situations about the time that they have left um but I feel like getting older or wasting time or feeling like there's not enough time is something that we all kind of go through and experience um so I feel like it's a uh, an important exercise to do to give yourself an hourly wage and see calculate how much time that your uh, time and money you're spending on this one thing on this shirt on this car on this whatever and multiply it by five Ooh, why are you multiplying it because that's how valuable it should be a lot of people say for example let's just take the entrepreneurship role right Obviously, there's unlimited amounts per hour that you can charge someone as an entrepreneur, depending on what value you bring and what business it is. However, nine times out of 10, it's in the thousands per hour. Yes. And, and that's, that's how what, I view it. <laughs> that's what Nate was saying. I Nate was saying, I feel like I'm just oofing off of his YouTube video. I don't know what the title is called, but just watch all of Nate O'Brien's videos. He's a little cutie. You'll enjoy them. what resonated with you and why why are you sharing this i'm sharing this because he said that originally his um he he labeled his hourly wage at 15 and then he said as time goes on as you do with a job uh Mm -hmm. you start adding you start adding more you're worth more event once you start getting more experiences or once you start really realizing how valuable your time is so i don't want people to i don't want people to think that they're worth more when they're probably not like no offense to everybody but i want people to think of it realistic think of it as your current job so i would probably just base it the salary off of your current job or uh, combined with your side hustle really uh, based on hourly and then kind of go from there that's I think that's the way I would calculate it interesting because I I'm gonna have to disagree with that I've always talked about skill sets Mm -hmm. so the reason I brought the whole entrepreneurship example up is because if you have a skill set and you're good at some, you're, you're excellent at something in comparison to anybody else in your industry, that to me is invaluable. You almost can't put a price on it. So that's why I, I always- People you know, aren't utilizing that. They're Most not. Utilizing it. That's why they don't deserve to be paid that much yet. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> that's, and that is the gold nugget, my friend. We can just end the podcast right, right. there. We got to <laughs> utilize your skill set so that way you'll be worth more and that way your time will be even more exponentially more valuable. Why are you valuable? And I don't mean to say that as if you need to put a monetary value on your person, right? Because let, let's not tie up self, self-worth yeah, to net worth. No, no. No, but we all have skill sets, whether technical or soft skill sets that would bring value, that can bring value combined with time. I feel like that's a good formula. So yes. And that's it. That's all she wrote. (laughs) That's all she wrote. End of episode three. End of episode three. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much. Bye.